Today we're, we're discussing how to work with franchise consultants, but it's really a lot more. Today we're fortunate to have Lisa Welko with us. Lisa is an amazing friend. Not only is she a franchise broker, but Lisa does tremendous franchise development work. And so when we put together this webinar and these topics and Lisa shared some tremendous information, it became a lot more than how to work with franchise consultants or franchise brokers. Because I think as we go through this discussion with Lisa, Lisa's gonna teach us or tell us that the best way to work with franchise brokers is to be a good franchisor. And so Lisa has some amazing experience, not only as a broker and a consultant that's helped so many emerging brands, um, but also as a former franchisor. And um, Lisa is the founder of Integrity Franchise Group, and I'm really glad she's uh, joining us this afternoon. Thanks, Lisa. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So I know we, we spoke before the webinar uh, just a few, you know, a number of minutes ago. And, and so I guess our focus this afternoon is emerging franchisors. You made the distinction, which I think was interesting because there's really even a micro emerging zero to 10 units and then emerging being 11 to 75. And so I think that's what will be the sweet spot for today in terms of building those broker relationships selling franchises and ultimately winning at franchising. And as I turn this over, some of the takeaways from our conversation that, that I found so interesting and uh, for anyone listening to this webinar, some of the highlights that I think you're going to take away from this today are the fact that as a franchisor, you need to be able to prove your system. You need to have the right internal team. You need to look at franchise sales as an education process, not a selling process understanding the franchisee journey. So those are just some of the highlights we're going to talk about and, and, and dive right into. So thanks, Lisa. Yeah, absolutely. I, it ended up being a little bit more, I think, than you asked for, but that's what you get. <laughs> so. well, yeah, I learned. Yeah, no, it is. But, you know, as we go through it, so guys, on there's a, there's a good amount of slides, but, you know, Lisa sees brands every day. She's been through this. And so... I mean, it's just so many insights. So we're going to just dive right in and at the most basic level, right, Lisa, which is how does an emerging brand get a franchise broker excited about their brand and, and help them sell? Right. And I think the biggest thing is that they be, they're a good franchisor, right? So um, remembering that you're a franchisor now, you're no longer your corporate location, whatever that is. And so um, learn about franchising. I mean, I'm a huge you know, like cheerleader for the IFA because you need someone to tell you about franchising and you need to hear it from a couple of different sources. And so, you know, I put down the my one of my favorite conventions that it's good for me to see franchisors at these conventions, not necessarily to network because, but what it does is it tells me they're trying to learn, they're trying to get better, they're trying to be a good franchisor, and they're, you know, they're there with a sponge mentality, they don't think they have it all figured out. So I think it, for me, it's important that they're involved in that. I mean, I can't tell you how many times they'll say, oh, I'm going to IFE next week, will I see you? No, it's like, huh, everyone in franchising is going to be at this convention learning or the IFA convention, learning about franchising, you have two locations. You don't think you ought to be there. <laughs> so, 
Right. And it, it's interesting. I mean, IFA is amazing and I agree. And, and the, you know, what's amazing to me is even when we have conversations at an IFA conference, it's even the conversations you don't expect or when right. you speak to other franchisors and I look right, you become the average of the five people you hang out with. So now all of a sudden you start absorbing all this. So I, it sounds like a minor suggestion, but it's so critical because what you gain from it. Again, my takeaways too, you keep getting back to being a good franchisor, right? Which I think is critical to this whole webinar. Um, and part of that we were discussing and the first thing that a franchisee needs to do is to prove their system. So wh yeah. what does that involve, Lisa? And I think the most important thing is that, you know, your, your system can make money. It can be profitable most people aren't getting into this for a hobby. They're not getting in, you know, to um, just change the world. In the end, it's a business and they want to make money. And no matter what, you know, the first question out of their mouth is always, and one of the things that we ask as brokers on the first call is, how much return do you need to see? How, how fast of a ramp up do you, and that's a good, honest question. So you could have someone that's going to be crazy wonderful in a system but if all they're going to ever make top you know bottom line is eighty thousand dollars they're they're not going to be happy they bought that franchise they're not going to be a happy franchisee so you, we need a realistic understanding of how much money they need to make and you know they potentially can make and so i think um you know one of the things i see with emerging brands is that they will you know, they'll set their royalty and they'll set their national ad fund and any other fees. And then you, there's nothing left for the franchisee. The franchisor isn't paying those fees. So once they take all those fees off of their corporate store, what's the bottom line? And so I think it's just important. It's another way to look at their business to make sure it's going to be lined up properly to be a franchise. So. Right. And it sounds like, like just a fundamental building block and, um, and this is, I guess, your point, too, when we were speaking was, this is especially for the startup franchisors who, you know, right. they're getting excited and consultants are just telling them, hey, pay me money, franchise your business. And, um, you know, they haven't sat back and really decided if their system's really proven and is it proven after royalties and all those other fees. So right. Exactly. And where does it prove out then? You know, if there's only... if. If your business is operating at a 10% margin, like do some math. They just right. lost 6% of it <laughs> paying everybody. So it's not going to work. And so again, we're talking about it at, at the base level here. And th th this was interesting too. I, I love the way you're describing this. I mean, everyone sounds like, okay, you need a good franchise sales or website, but it's interesting as you explain why it's so important for these emerging brands and how they win or lose even just at a basic web level. Right, right. So with the technology the way it is right now, I have a call like this when I present. So when I'm presenting to a, a candidate, I usually, you know, we've done the territory checks, we've, we've been through what is franchising, we've had those initial calls. And so I've kind of narrowed it down to about four four or five brands that I think, okay, this could be a fit based on everything that we talked about. Well, I'm going to use the collateral materials and things like that, that you've created. But the other thing I'm going to do is a screen share and I'm going to bring them to your website so they can get a flavor for the pulse of your business. 
So I'm going to bring them to their consumer facing site and then hopefully a separate franchising site so they can see and learn more about the business. So it's not just me speaking at them like a talking head. It's here's the brand. Here's what they have to say. Here's where they're located. And then it's, it's just a better conversation. And so it's funny because one of the things I would love to tell myself when I was a franchisor, but then also some of these emerging brands is don't create your website. Like you get your FDD and you get your website and then you decide to sell. I almost want to say get your FDD and then talk to someone in franchising to figure out what kind of website you're going to need because too much they spend what 10, 20, 30 grand on their website or whatever that amount is. And then they want me, and I look at it and go, yeah, that's not right. It, it, it can't just be pictures of your product. Your product is no longer your competition. So now you're selling franchises. Now you're selling business systems, operations, support. So just to have pictures of your product all over your franchising website, and you hate to look at because it it's like you just wasted a whole bunch of money. You really need to talk with someone that doesn't just create a pretty website, but they have created a tool to help you sell franchises. So, right. And then you have also the opportunity costs, like the deals you lose that you don't even realize you lose. Right. right. And one of my big issues or pet peeves that I have is I see so many brands, even big brands spend money on a website, but not spend the time and effort to develop original copy that really discusses the unique factors, the story behind the brand, right. you know, and, and, and why it's so compelling of an opportunity. It's just turns into, it melds into all this generic information about, you know, being in business uh, for yourself, not by yourself. And right. we're going to give you some training and stuff like that. So That's um, I'm going to sell a hotel and we have rooms and beds. Yeah, I, I love when you make that analogy. Right. Yes, right. Right. Franchise. You better be able to train them. You better they're expecting training and support and you know all those things that you're saying, well, we do training. Well, of course, you better. That's like right. Give me something different, you know. Right. So if that's your feature that you train, you really didn't do anything. <laughs> now I'm glad we're on the same page because and it, it look, it's not easy, but as a franchisor you need to be able to have a conversation to tell a prospect what's so compelling about the brand and why it's a great opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And then this is interesting too, Lisa, collateral materials, brochures, content pieces, PR are important. Uh, everyone knows that, but I, I thought your perspective was really interesting about PR and this third party validation and why uh, it's so important. Again, with today's technology, they're not just going to take as a broker even, I've developed this relationship with them. I've probably had three or four hours worth of phone calls, but they're not just going to take my word for it that this is a good fit for them. They want to figure it out for themselves. And if you only have the website, then they look at a, a website as a sales tool. It, it's just kind of what we do. If we go to a website, we're expecting to be sold whatever the website is selling. And so we need some PR, we need some articles, we need some separate pieces out there on the internet, on Google, that I can get somebody else's perspective. So that's just how I feel like about the collateral materials and the brochures. I want to be able to follow up to whatever my screen share is with something, not just websites, but you know, here's, here's the basics, here's, the, here's an e-brochure, whatever it is. Um, 
but they're, they're going to poke around. And if, if the information's not there, chances are they're going to find a competitor. That PR and that third party collateral needs to be consistent with the storytelling on the franchise development site. Right. And sometimes I don't see that there's like, it's all over the place and you really can't hone in on what's special about the brand. Right. Yeah. One person kind of has to be controlling that whole process and all the information that's going out, what people are seeing. Making your brand compelling for franchise brokers, which your point is you need to be a good franchisor. And part of that is your internal team, right? Right. So either your internal team your- or, or your outsource team, like whatever it is. I think one of the things that we see as brokers that's very kind of, we'll say kind of annoying is when the franchise salesperson doesn't really know anything about franchising. So they don't really know how to talk to people. They, they make it really kind of cheesy and slimy because they're selling, selling, selling. And when, when someone knows about franchising, I think they understand that it's educate them, get them the content, answer the tough questions right up front, you know, get that out there. And so what happens is, these, these smaller brands, and I get it. Like I, I get that you're not gonna be able to hire a full-time development person to be in your office. You're just you're not gonna need that kind of bandwidth, but you do need someone that understands franchising. That the fact that you're no longer selling whatever your widget is, you're selling a business, and for a lot of people, you're selling like a whole new career, a whole new path, a whole new chapter in these people's lives. So you really need to be serious about what you're doing. Um, so that's just my, my, my take on it. And I think the other thing that we talked about before was that I'm a very good franchise broker. I am not going to sell your brand, Mr. Franchisor. I'm going to present it as one of four to five different businesses that my candidate, it probably checks all their boxes. But I think a mistake that the emerging franchisors make, um, more than some of the others, they think that I'm going to sell it, that by the time I lay up that person to them, they're, they're sold on this brand. And you don't want, A, you don't want me doing that as a franchisor because I don't know enough about your brand. And so I'm not going to present it in the same light as you are. And so I, and I think it's just important for them to understand that's my role as a broker is to understand what the candidate needs and wants in a business and present them businesses that meet that criteria. What you've just explained, I think, is a misunderstanding that so many startup franchisors and emerging franchisors have, that they're just going to get involved with broker networks, get, right. if there's a broker interested in that, the broker is going to sell, and they don't realize they really need to develop that internally or, or an outsourced uh, assistance with that. Yeah, they need to have something. I mean, and granted, as a broker, what's you know, it's important to me that when I hand that baton off to you with my candidate, that you're able to capture it and walk my candidate through the process. And I think I said this before too, the most important thing is that my candidate gets a good understanding of franchising and they leave with a good taste in their mouth about franchising. To me, that's going to be more important because this might not be the brand for them. They may decide, no, I don't want to be in food. But what I learned about this franchise and what I learned about this brand and how they support and all the training and how franchising really works, I'm, I'm more educated. I didn't waste my time there. 
and, and I don't have a bad taste in my mouth. So when I'm showing a brand, especially a newer brand, if it's new to the inventory or whatnot, it's really important that I have a good relationship with whoever is going to be presenting and selling that brand. So there's no surprises. Knowing a franchisor has gone through that process, has that ability, is naturally going to attract you as a broker to that brand. Oh, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And as a broker, I'm, especially with newer, I'm on those calls with my candidate. I'm helping them along. I'm learning too. I'm probably on mute, but I'm learning right along. So the more often I can show a brand and the more I hear things, absolutely. It, it, it doesn't necessarily make me sell it because I don't sell it, but it will be front of mind in that, okay, I hadn't considered that business for this person, but now that I kind of know what goes on behind the scenes, I, I think they should take a look at it. You're very strong on this point, which I think is, is critical, which is for you, the franchise sales process has to be about education, not about sales. Right. So, so what, like, how do brands understand that and, and implement that? I think it's just important. I mean, get their questions answered. And I think we, we talk about this a little bit later, but don't just read them the PowerPoint because by the time my franchise candidate is in front of you, Mr. Franchisor, they've seen your PowerPoint. <laughs> so I, I've given them enough tools because I want them to be able to ask some of their initial questions right up front and get those answered. And so just educate them. What is it like, to, what, is, what is my day in the life of an owner look like in your franchise system? What are some of the hurdles I'm gonna have to overcome? If I have a weakness in my, in my personality or my skill set, who am I gonna have to hire to, to cover that weakness. And so I think just being real honest with them in, in the process and the education of it, it's gonna come off cleaner, it's gonna come off less cheesy, but also you're probably gonna end up with a better franchisee, which is in the long run, what's important to everybody. That you didn't just sell it and get it closed, but that you brought someone in that's gonna be a really good cultural fit and, and run with your brand, because that's what's going to sell. And that's what's going to move you from micro-emerging and emerging into mid-level market and enterprise is having happy franchisees that are going to validate. I mean, it's such a critical point on so many levels, right? Because if you're a startup or emerging brand, really satisfaction and validation of your first 10 to 15 franchisees is going to determine your growth path, right? And it's so interesting what you're saying here because these a lot of brands just get focused on the sale and they're they're not and it, it's so they're going to talk about all the good things or the generic things and I guess as part of your point though as so you would hit up front here's the weaknesses or here's the concerns you should have or here's, here's some obstacles. Every business has a headache. Yeah. If you just paint this beautiful picture of everything's roses and you wake up every day at 10 and then you get to leave by two and all this money is just flowing in, A, they're not going to believe you. And, and B, that's not true. And so if your candidate goes in thinking, I can wake up at 10 and leave by two and be successful and that's right. not going to happen, you're dead. They're going to go out of business. You're going to have lawsuits on your hands. It's like, just be honest. Hey, one of the problems right you know one of the issues right now is the labor force that's not an issue with this brand that's an issue with the united states right now is that our labor our labor pool is a little bit shallow so how do you help us address that headache oh okay well 
this, 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 and this. So here's our challenge and here's how we address it and support. So you can just get in front of it because they're going to figure it out. So don't hide. That's a great point. And even as I reflect on it, I mean, how many, it, how many times do you see a franchise development site or whatnot talk about some of the obstacles and, and, and how they relate to it. I also love the fact that you're using it as a filter process, that education and, and to filter out those franchisees, which is critical. And then it, this is all consistent, right? Which is a good franchisor understands the journey of the franchisee. And it was interesting because you were also talking about the cadence of looking at franchises and the franchisee journey. Right, right. So. When I work, and, and I, know, I work with a lot of, I, I'm in a mastermind group with some amazing brokers and I'm pretty involved in all the networks. And so I think one of the things we all have in common is when we present our brands, we, we, we try to lay it out that even if there's one that's just shining in your eyes and you think it's the perfect fit and why would I look at anything else? I say, no matter what, I need you to look at at least two. I need you to have one franchise or conversation with at least two possibly three of these um if you're if you're torn it's a little easier but and the reason is i need them to get the cadence of franchising and that's where it becomes important that i trust the franchisor that they're going to do a good job on that first call because i want them to hear the same type of things get that same type of information throughout their process even if you have a prospect super excited about one brand as a good broker, you want to show them um, some other brands. Absolutely. Usually not competitors. So usually they're going to be in a different industry, but they're learning. They're not just learning about the brands. They're learning about franchising. They're learning about one of the reasons that I love franchising, right? Because I always tell people that right away. Like it's not my job to sell you a franchise, but at the end of this journey, I do want you to understand why I love this industry so much because I truly believe it's your roadmap to independence and success and wealth, hopefully. But um, that's what I want them to get from those calls. The fact that, wow, I have a system and I have a trademark and I have a website. I mean, I started my own business. It was a pain. <laughs> I, right. I much would rather, I, I look back now, what a, I should have just bought a franchise. I think this is what makes you so compelling too, is right. Um, you were a franchisor and on the consulting end have actually intervened. I, I mean, a number of our clients you've been done an amazing job with, but so as a franchisor, what were the lessons you learned that you wish you had known? Right. And this is basically what I say to the, even if you just have me have a conversation with some of your new franchisors, right? Not to scare the bejesus out of anybody, yeah. but it's going to cost you more than what you think it's going to cost. Just because you have an FDD does not make you a franchise. And right. it's going to take longer than you think. Those first couple of deals are hard. Like it's going to take a while. You've got to be able to not, you know, not give up on it whatever you call it, the grind or whatnot, I think it's just important that they don't go in with these starry eyes. Like, oh, I have an FDD and now I'm gonna pay hundred and some bucks and be in some networks and all these brokers are gonna sell me. So hopefully we've kind of eliminated that that's not how it's gonna go. It's gonna be hard. You're gonna have a lot of spinning plates. You know, you gotta keep your corporate stores going. Now you're selling franchises, so you have to work with that. You have to make sure the corporate stores are still going. So just be ready, it's not easy. Right. Just having your FDD doesn't make you a franchise or it's part of the process. And um, 
what bothers me is that when people are evaluating franchising, and it's a point you make here too, is that everyone tells them about the process to become a franchisor, but they don't tell them about, well, once you do have your FDD and once you can sell franchises, that's where the hard work just starts. And you need to have a plan on how you want to grow a budget for your franchise sales and, and a game plan. And I feel like so many people aren't told and they don't plan for that. Right. And then you go in undercapitalized and you don't know what to expect. And you're trying to do all of it yourself, which is hard. I mean, that's, and that was me. I mean, I spent all my money and, and this was a long time ago, but on getting the franchise to be a franchise. And then I, you know, I paid for a book on franchise sales, 20 some thousand dollars, you know, all of there was, it was just like money, 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 money. And then I was done and I'm like, okay, I don't have any money left. How am I going to advertise this? And it very much became, you know, an uphill battle. So I think if I'd have went in eyes wide open and been prepared for it, I would have allocated those funds a little bit differently. And I think it's like, know that upfront. And, and for us, I mean, when I started the franchise, I had a, a partner, which was great because we could divide the roles. So for a franchisor, it's hard to be the person on the phone selling your franchise. It, you, it has to be a really special person to be able to do that because it, it, it makes you look kind of small and that right. you don't have a lot of a bandwidth. And so if you're selling to me, who's supporting me? So unless you have this great support team over here, um, you know, that's what's going to be going through their minds. So you just got to be careful. So now when you look at a brand, mm-hmm. what, what are you looking for when you take a look at a franchise brand and something that'll interest you or not? Right. Um, sometimes if it's just different, we love that, right? So, but I mean, it's kind of like Hollywood, kind of keeps recirculating all the same old um, movies and, and doing the sequels. So franchising can be like that too. So, okay, well, what's different about your pizza brand compared to these other 150 pizza brand? You know, what's different about right now you can't throw a rock without hitting like pokey or an acai bowl, right? So Mm. what's different about that brand? What makes it special? And it's probably not necessarily the product. And of course you have the best product. If you're selling pizza, I would expect that you would think you have the best pizza. If you're selling acai bowl, I expect that yours is the best. So what else? And so is it support? Is it training? Is it the fact that you hold their hand for longer? You give them a coach to walk them through the business process. You actually teach them how to read their P&L and take out some of the KPIs. So I think that's what we want to see is, you know, if you, if you are, if, if you aren't necessarily brand new, the very first into, into your industry, what are you doing differently that's going to compare you to the others that are there? But besides just you have a better product. Which I love that point. And like every franchisor listening to this, when they deal with their marketing teams or just saying we have great pizza or a great product, like just discount that right away because. Yeah, I would expect that. Again, right. that's a hotel that says they have beds. I love that. I love it. But now if you look at so many websites, that's all they're talking about. Right. Or like the donut place that has donuts all over their franchise development. Like I figured out you're a donut place. It's in your name. (laughs) So tell me about your training. Tell me about your support. Tell me about the items I'm going to need to keep. Like 
I, I get the donuts. That's fine. <laughs> right, which gets into, you know, well, probably too. tell me about the numbers. And well, it was interesting. We were at the IFE show. We were with one of our clients and a competitor had a booth and they were giving free services. And all the collateral material was about the services. Yeah. You know, we charge X dollars, how great this service is. And, and my client's like, that's pretty good. I'm like, if you're trying to sell those services to consumers, maybe it's good. But franchisees care about what's the opportunity, what's my income potential, right. what's the technology behind it, and what's going to make me money, not, right. you know, the generic service, which many times it could be generic, you know. You know, and I know you're very uh, strong on FDDs, and but but it's important to know, right? So there's so many brands out there, and they spend all this time, they get their FDDs, and then there's things missing. So what are you looking for in the FDDs? Right. Um, transparency. So I okay. think a transparent FDD tells me that you have a strong enough either franchise attorney or at least a support. Someone told you how to be a good franchisor in that you're not hiding things in your FDD. You know, it's, it's like not having any, I've, I've seen them lately that they, they don't have any cash reserves. You okay. know, it's like, oh, you're just gonna open the door and start making money. So no, it, that's not how it works. So, I mean, be transparent in how long is it gonna take someone to ramp up, you know, that type of thing. And obviously I'm huge on item 19s. And I think, you know, when I talk to my clients, of course, or my candidates, the first thing they say is, well, how much money can I make in this, right? That's always the first thing. And my answer is not, well, let's look at the item 19, because the item 19 is a historical marker of how much other people have done in this business. Doesn't say how much you're gonna do, but at least it gives us an idea of how others have done. So when you're in franchise validation and you talk to those other owners, do you meet kind of the same type of personality and the same skill sets as they've had? Or are you potentially, and I hope my candidates think, yeah, I can definitely do that because I, I definitely possibly bring more to the table than the people I talk with on the phone. I want them to feel that they can do better. I don't want the item 19 to be a glass ceiling. You know what I mean? But if they don't have one, that's a really tough conversation to have. Right, especially if the startup cost is, is high, right? right? So if you're investing half a million dollars or 300000 and there's no item 19, it, it, it could be a problem. Right, right. And, I, you know, and I'm sure most of the people on this call, you're the franchise attorney, right? So, so that's not going to be a problem. But there are franchise attorneys out there that say to emerging brands, because I'll ask them, where, why no item 19? Well, my franchise attorney said I only have corporate stores. I only have one corporate store. So I don't have enough history to have an item 19 and I'm not a franchise attorney. However, you're asking me to show this brand. We need something. You got to give me something. And it's, it's a misnomer to say, well, I didn't have enough. You've got to have something. You've got to give us something to work with. So. And Lisa, but your, your point too, and, and it, it, it takes effort, right? It takes effort and time. A lot of brands don't realize that, the item 19 can go beyond just basic metrics. It could have internal data, pricing data. Um, your point though overall is more often than not, just having gross sales, that's not enough. 
Right. And I know we've gone back and forth on this and <laughs> No, I, I agree. <laughs> you know? Look, with. I know if it's a restaurant, <laughs> Lisa and other brokers that really know what they're doing want to see what, you know, costs of goods sold and food yeah. costs. Yeah. yeah, because I mean some of these people, especially if it's an emerging brand, if they haven't been in the restaurant business, that gross number doesn't really help them. Because they they kind of assume that all restaurants do a million dollars. And so they and, and then they also for some reason assume that the margin is like three percent. Well, you read that somewhere 20 years ago. That's no longer the case. Give them, give them a little bit more transparency so they can start to kind of put their business plan together. You don't have to do the full PL, although that's great. Um, but like labor, they'll be able to figure out labor in their market. They'll probably be able to figure out real estate in their market, but you could give them food costs. You could give them paper goods, something that says, okay, here's an understanding that our margins do come out pretty good. You know, once you figure that out for yourself. And I think the other thing, um, and we talked about this earlier, it might be in a later slide, but is the brand saying, well, you'll get that when you talk to our owners. Without an item 19, yeah. chances of yeah. getting to that validation call to talk to your owners, you're already kind of setting yourself up that that might not happen. So well, if they get it from the legal issues there too, right. which. Right. Yeah, and it's and it seems like there's so many brands that get stalled without the item nineteen. Um, yeah. yeah. And ironically, from a legal perspective, Lisa, I like I feel like brands are more protected by having an item nineteen. Right. And having the proper training to understand what we disclose and that we can't disclose anything else. Right. Sort of insulates those brands from having nothing and always having a potential claim that but they gave me numbers, right? So to me, there's also legal protection there, I think. Oh, good. So another thing you're not, you don't, what you look for, at least in a good FDD is, uh, you don't want a nickel and dime franchisees. So add a ton of fees. So I think what happens is that you look at the big enterprise brands that have 150, 200 franchises, and they have a fee for the app and a fee for the website and a fee for the, deliveries or, or whatever, you know, they have a million of these little fees. Well, those big brands can say, we need this fee because it does this, this, and this for you. We need this fee because it does this, 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 and this for you. As a micro emerging brand or even an emerging brand, you probably don't have enough data to make that fee worthwhile. And so you're just starting to fee them because someone told you you can. And so besides the royalty, you're going to get to collect money here and money here and money here and money here, but you don't have anything to back up. How does that fee support my franchisee to make them more profitable to offset the cost of that fee? And so my biggest thing is if you're, if you're small or micro emerging, I get it. In 20 years, you might end up have left money on the table because you could have got this fee from them. But this person took a huge chance on you in being the first one through 10 through 20 franchises. And their reward is that they're not gonna get feed to death being your guinea pig. And, and, and I hate to put it that way, but the, your franchise at 10 to 20 locations doesn't look what it's gonna look like at 100 locations anyway. So the ones that get in at 100 to 120 locations, that's less risk for them. And they have, you have reasons beyond those fees. When you're brand new like that, don't give these people a reason to say no. Take that off the table. 
Lisa, one one important fee, I'm curious what your take is, and that especially the emerging, you see a lot of pushback on or some pushback is on brand development funds, right? So what's your experience when you're working with prospects and they're evaluating a brand development fund? Right, usually just what I say is that, how I just describe it is that almost every franchise has a national ad fund or a brand development fund. The most important thing to ask around that question is, what are you going to do with that money? So ask, that, ask them that question. And so, and, and I explain it's a pool of money that all the franchisees contribute to, and it has to be used for the benefit of the, all the franchisees in the system, not just regional or, or definitely not to sell franchises, things like that. And so um, most emerging brands outsell the national ad fund. They're spending more money to promote you are. promoting it. Great question to be able to add to answer because you can say, well, last year we, you know, developed this website, we optimized this, we created an app, we have all this collateral materials, we spent a hundred thousand dollars on national ad, and we took in, you know, they know you only have two franchisees. So, I mean, I think it's it's easy to say. It, it, it's one. Of, it's probably the easiest fee to talk about because okay. it's going to directly benefit my my candidate or the new franchisee. Someone starts up today, they're about to, they're FDD, they're about to be registered. So what should they be doing now to build those relationships? Because a lot of people, I, I tell them all the time, you're going to join these organizations. They're going to take time to build the relationships and you need to invest in them. So should they be focused on what it's going to look like 12 months from now? Right. You know, those relationships? You no, know, it's a double-edged sword because you want to at least pay them enough to get their attention. So if every other food concept in the inventory is paying a certain percentage, find out what that is and, and at least meet it. Because if you're way low, I'll go back to the acai bowls, right? So there's, there's a lot of those in the system. And so they all look the same to us at first. So at least don't make what the referral fee is be the reason. Like just, just be, keep it on an even playing field. But the other thing is when you're working with brokers as franchisors, when you're working with brokers, you, you need to have that relationship. You need to make sure that they understand, you know, what the brand is and that you're also, you're educating the brokers as well. So you're front of mind. It, it was funny because at IF, IFE, right, in New York, um, the person from five star painting I was just walking the floor and he I, and I said no I don't want to take up your time because I want you to be able you know that's that's not why you're here and he said why wouldn't I want you to understand what my brand is I, I want you to because the more you understand it the more people you might find is a good fit and I thought very educated guy because some people do not want to talk to me there and, and that's okay um, but the more we know about you and the more we get to know you, it, it helps us to not necessarily sell you, but it, it opens up doors to people that might be great for your brand that initially I didn't think maybe they would be. I think the key being, um, and it takes an investment of time to do that, right? Like that example with, with five stars is a perfect one. Right. Um, right. So, you know, at least when we were talking earlier, I, I think I skipped over the slide, but this is interesting. You said make sure your operations manual is fluid. Right. So 
and I, and I know this probably isn't the best thing about working with brokers, and this is where I maybe got off topic. Um, but when you look for a strong brand, I want to make sure that they can also pivot and and be able to adjust as they need to, because again, your first couple locations don't right. look like your next couple locations. And so if you have this solid on paper PDF, um, changing that is gonna be expensive and it's gonna be hard. And it's a lot easier to have your operations manual be able to update it and, and be able to say, okay, this, this is an update, this is what we tried, and it's on some web-based, cloud-based system. You can see what data was updated. You can see when your franchisees can see it. That type of thing for me just gives, again, it's a strong brand that is franchisee-focused, franchisee-success-focused, not necessarily focused on just selling franchises. So you're saying as a, as a broker, me as a franchisor, to you, it's important for me to say, hey, Lisa, if we could spend some time, not only do I want to show you about the brand and the differentiators, but here's our technology that's and support. here's, okay. So that's a great point. Here's our support because they're going to be, that's, that's what they're buying. Like a lot of what they're, especially with an emerging brand, you don't have a well-known name. Sorry. <laughs> outside, of, outside of your community, I'm not buying your trademark. I'm buying my chance for success. And so show me reasons that chances are high that your first 10 to 20 franchisees are going to be successful. So, I mean, again, I, it, and even the more established franchisors sometimes don't get it, but everything you're talking about, about being a good franchisor, right? There's, there's so many of these emerging brands, they're not getting the right advice by certain consultants. They're told just go um, set up a, a trade show and display your product. And they don't, and they even have the assumption or thought process that because I'm paying a broker X dollars commission and going back to your point is they're going to sell or they should be grateful when all the things you're describing here is really integrity in the franchise system, being a good franchisor, I mean, it's really compelling, especially at the startup brands, uh, to really hear this. Um, so this I agree with. And, and again, I don't know the balancing, but your point is have someone dedicated to brand growth, which I know is important to you as a broker. I know there's cost concerns that you mentioned, but explain what, what, what's your thought here? So I think... It, it's interesting, and, and I get this more from developing those couple brands that I, I'm, I am the outbound salesperson for them. Mm -hmm. I think how I deal with my broker leads that come in and how I, how I speak to those leads, it's, it's definitely different than the organic ones that come in from the website. And so I think it's just important for the franchisors to understand that you can't just run them through the same PowerPoint because the yeah. franchise. My, my franchise leads that come in through a portal or come in from a website, I'm the only one possibly with the franchise relationship or other franchise, obviously salespeople with that relationship, where for my broker leads, I can communicate with the broker, find out, you know, what do they already know? What are their main questions or pain points to make sure that I get them addressed? And so I'm having different, my initial conversation with my broker leads is different than my initial conversation with my organic leads. And if I feel that if I ran my broker leads through my organic presentation, I would probably have not very happy brokers. Because again, like I said before, my candidates already seen your PowerPoint, count on it. So 
you're going to need to talk to them at a different level. And so just make sure that your franchise development people are ready for that and possibly have slightly different presentations ready to go. So at least what would be one thing that you put in a broker presentation that's not in a direct prospect uh, presentation? From what you've seen about the brand um, so far, based on what, you know, Anita has shared with you or whatnot, um, what's your, what's, what's the burning question right now? What, 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 are you, what are your top three burning questions? And chances are they're going to be deeper questions than that person that just came in from the website or could be a tire kicker. And so that gets to the point of make sure that your franchise developer person knows franchising. Because what if they say, how much money can I make? Right. And, you can't, and your answer cannot be, well, the FTC says I can't tell you that. You have to have a better answer. And so I, I think that's the biggest thing is that you just – get right in front of their questions right away. And you have to be intimate enough with what you're presenting to be able to answer that question and not say, Oh, I'll get back to you. Ugh, that's scary. I'm the very first call. So. So this is interesting, Lisa. So you bring a prospect to a brand, right? Your right. point is don't expect the broker to be your, to do your sales. So what are you looking for after you hand over the baton, after you bring in a prospect? What do you expect a good franchisor to do? Communicate with me. So make sure I know what's happening with my franchise, with my candidate, as far as either follow up with me after or just CC me on the emails because I'll be able to figure out. Like if you CC me on an email that says, really love the conversation, we'll be sending you out the FDD and then I'll talk to you next Wednesday for that FDD review call. You just told me where my candidate was. You don't need to pick up the phone then and call me and tell me you don't need to take the time to send out a separate email. Now, if, if you want to, th that's great and that's fine. But I think the worst thing is you have an initial, and it happens way too much, Charles. You, franchisors had an initial conversation. They've sent in the FDD and I'm going, where are they at? Where are they at? And I'm talking to my franchise candidate. He's talking to two or three different brands. You're all kind of still muddy. Nobody's, nobody's come out ahead of the pack yet. So he's not going to always remember those conversations. And the franchise developer person always thinks it's a great call. <laughs> they always think it's wonderful. You know, oh, it went great. And then I talked to my candidate and he's like, yeah, I'm out. No way. So if you keep me in the loop, I'm talking to my candidate. The better relationship that we have the more I can kind of fill you in and help you to, if something's going sideways, hopefully help you get in front of it so you can address it. Or just say, you know what, this has gone too sideways. We're wasting our time. Nobody wants to waste time. Like I'm going to move him in a different direction. But which which I think is a critical point, right? Which is the, on the franchisor and they need to know they don't want to do something that causes you to lose the relationship, right. whether they want the brand or not. In the end, it's that the franchise industry is what is what we're representing. And so if it gets ugly with a franchise developer and all of a sudden they have a bad taste in their mouth about the whole industry, which I had this happen, um, do you really think I'm going to show that brand again? I don't care what your item 19 looks like. You gave them a bad taste in your mouth about franchising because of something you said. So we're done. <laughs> So Lisa, what, so emerging franchisors, what are the, some of the mistakes you see them 
make over and over or three of the big ones? Okay. So I think, um, and I get it. And so I, I want to set the money part aside, but them trying to do everything, like sell their own concept, do their own marketing, do their own PR. It's, it's too much. It, for one thing, it makes you look small. You're too close to it to take someone's point of view and say, you know what, maybe we need to tweak this part of the process because something's not going right. So, I, I mean, I think that they need someone separate to at least have the initial conversations and sell the brand. I, I just think you're probably not the best person for this job. And I want, as a franchisor, I want you to kind of be while they're supporting their franchisees and they're growing their brand and they're making sure their corporate stores are profitable, you'll get to them, but they're not going to be the ones on the very first call. You know, it just, it just gives a bad taste. But Lisa, and that gets to your other point though, too, because I'm a founder, I started a franchise. I don't have that franchise industry knowledge. And what was great for us and, and for me, when we're working with emerging brands, I feel a bigger obligation, not on doing the right legal work, but giving them the right expectations as to what's next. So when we have a conversation six, nine months later, the brand, we didn't lose opportunity or stagnate. We're involved in sales. And, and that's where, I mean, you've done an amazing job with, with so many brands that we work with in terms of, I, I, it's amazing to me because it's so critical to them to sell and grow with the right franchisees. But when you work with a brand, your intensity is even more, you're even more intense than they are in because you understand that momentum has to keep going. So um, in terms of no, I mean, it just, to me, it's important to have that franchise experience person in there. And so, but you think, and you've done it. So I know this and I know even with some bigger companies and, and big outsource sales or bringing in an outsource salesperson, that that's a good strategy. It, it is. I mean, I understand as an emerging franchisor, you probably don't have an, a deep enough wallet to pay someone full time to come into your office every day and answer the phone. And guess what? It's when the phone rings, it's not between nine and five. The leads don't come in between nine and five. The leads come in at eight o'clock at night and they come in on Saturday afternoon. And so having that person in the office doesn't really make sense. You need someone who's going to be able to follow up. But I think what they do need is someone dedicated to just that, that can say my one and only sole purpose with this business is to grow the brand, not sell the franchise. So that's why I said in the third one there where it says commission only dedicated salesperson is a mistake is because if, if my job is to grow the brand and the person on the other end of the phone isn't going to be a good cultural fit, even if they have enough money to buy it, I need to be okay to feed my family to say, this isn't going to work. The, we're going to stop this conversation here because I'm not so commission focused and driven that if I don't sell this, I'm not going to be able to feed my family tomorrow. You know what I mean? And so I think that it's a, it's a, it's a very fine line, but you need someone that's, that's on your team. That's trying to grow the brand. I mean, I, I represent brands. I'm not in their office. I mean, they're in New York and Australia, and, you know what I mean? But I have that brand 
I, I know it down pat and I know what they're looking for, but I'm, if it's not a good fit, I can walk away with it and sleep at night. And so I think that that's the mistake is like, oh, we're just going to pay you a commission. Well, then just go into a broker network because, and they have 600 other brands that they can show. So be careful there. Be careful as a franchisor, be careful of thinking that that's a great offer to make to someone because it, it, it actually, it can probably hurt your brand long-term and short-term. You might end up with a sleazy salesperson just trying to sell. Or someone just trying to sell and right. Uh, I, I, I think that's a major overlooked point and especially brands that are at 25, 30, 40 units where, you know, you really need to maintain that integrity of the brand and the culture and the strategy. So I, I, I yeah, I think that's a great perspective. And I don't think that's a common mistake people would normally identify. Lisa, the um, one thing too, we were speaking and, and um, one of the questions that popped up as we're speaking was, um, what's advice that you typically, what would you, advice would you give to a brand that has had a good level of success, is emerging, maybe just hit the 50 unit threshold, the 75 unit threshold, how do you get to the next level even after that? Okay. I think then it really becomes don't take your foot off the gas, right? So they, they kind of sit back and go, okay, we did it. Like we, we sold all we're supposed to sell. And it's actually, no, 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 no. Now it becomes really important. So now you actually need to bring in probably a couple more people because all these franchisees now have to be supported and successful and growing and happy because now you have someone who's going to validate what you complained before that you didn't have. Well, now you have. You've also got to keep your corporate stores going because you still need to have that strong support and you need to have your thumb on the pulse of what's happening in whatever industry that you're in. But you also have to keep driving forward and possibly get into more broker networks and, and go to more and add trade shows or add something else because you can do it now, but you have to ride that wave and get past those 50, get yourself to a hundred. Like you made your first benchmark. Don't deviate, keep going because otherwise how many brands do we see Charles that they, they just kind of, then they just stay there and then pretty soon they lose a couple and they lose a couple and they lose a couple. So I think you, you hate to see them take their foot off the gas. And then it, and it, if, if anyone has other questions, um, and actually there's a question, uh, we're a micro emerging franchisor. Mm -hmm. Just fix this, I'm sorry. Um, our parent company is well capitalized and we have a lot of pieces in place that Lisa's spoken about, except not yet in the broker network. How do you get a candidate over the fear of being the first in the system and in that same vein, how do you get a broker to have confidence in our brand when we don't have any Z's? Hopefully we will by the time we go into the broker network. Uh, thanks in advance. Great presentation. So, so what, what, what do you think about that, Lisa? Well, what was, it was two part question. So they're a micro emerging franchisor, right? So they don't have their first franchisee yet yeah. have capitalization, which is interesting. And so from my perspective, one of the big things I'd be focused on is a, what is our goal? So over the next 12 months, how many franchises do we want to sell? Right. B, don't say one a month in, in your first year, please. Right. You're not gonna. <laughs> well, right. And, but I think it's important Lisa for them to at least put it down. What's our goal? What does success look like in the next 12 months? 
what's our budget? Because we know we have money, but again, just sometimes you may, and what are we going to spend it on? And then they go on. Um, so they have a lot of pieces in place, not the broker network. So they're yeah. focused on the broker network. So how do you get the candidates over the fear of being the first in the system, I guess is the primary question. Right. And, and how do you get the broker to have confidence in that? Right. And I think some of that question, and this isn't going to be the, my broker answer, I'll save that answer, but it's going to be go to your franchise attorney and figure out what can be done to help this person be the first, like what sort of incentives, whatever right. has to be put in place, like understand that a good franchise attorney wants these initial deals to happen and they will help you help you to make it happen and it might you're allowed to negotiate you're you're allowed to i i don't know where it came up that you can't like once you have a hundred it's a lot different but those first couple you might need to give something away maybe you know maybe they're not contributing to the national ad fund maybe you're incentivizing them i i don't know talk with your attorney about what you're allowed to do there to get these first couple on right the education has to be good the marketing has to be good you have to have more than a website you're going to need some third-party validation not validation of franchisees but just maybe someone who did some pr about you an article was written you won the best decidable in you know north dakota i don't know what it is but but have something out there that's going to say i can see myself being successful in this brand. How do you get the broker attention without having any franchisees is exactly what you said. So yes, promote your brand and your product, but also promote the fact that you have an infrastructure in place to help your franchisees be successful. Because that's what, when I'm talking to my candidates, that, that's what I'm gonna point out to them. I'm gonna say, okay, I know I usually don't show you things where you're gonna be the guinea pig, Here's why I want you to look at this. This brand has a lot of benchmark of support. They're backed by enough money that they, they're in this for the long haul. Your franchise fee is not gonna make or break their system. I like what they're saying. I like the product in your market. I like your potential. And I like the fact that they've already spent money on supporting franchisees before they even have franchisees in place. So that's the only way. And, and if you ask um, Adrienne Lee, she'll tell you the same thing. Like she rarely shows an emerging brand unless they have this support in the background that says, you're going to be okay here. They're going to take care of you because they already see the benefit of taking care of you before they even know what it is. So, so that's interesting, Lisa. And especially they, you know, um, the person asked the question, she, they, mention the capitalization and it's interesting to know that they should focus on that with the brokers to know there's the support system right. um, and, and getting to your point I mean many times for um, startup franchisors even in the FDD and item five will have a discounted structure for the first one to five franchisees six to ten and a graduated uh, discount on the initial franchise fee that's fully disclosed in item five creates the at least some motivation for being right. rewarded for that. Yes. Um, and then, and Dan, thanks for the comment too. Dan mentions here too, he, that uh, Dan, he says, I would say that it would be important if they had a nice item 19. If so, that'll build confidence. Brokers look for the attractive item 19 as well, which I think is a great point, right, Lisa? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Have your, have your FDD be solid and transparent as much as possible because you must have a corporate store. So 
use your corporate store's numbers so they can visualize the ability to at least meet those numbers in their market. That's really interesting. And then, Lisa, one other question we have is, um, generally, how should um, emerging franchisors view working with outsourced sales companies and whatnot? Uh, so like outsourced third-party sales people that just take over their franchise sales. How should they view them? Yeah, should they view that as a reliable asset or a resource that they should use? Yeah, 100%. So, um, I mean, my answer, I guess one of the reasons is I do that, right? So, obviously, but don't right. see me as a third party and don't describe me to people as a third party. If I'm not part of your brand and part of your team and I, there's this disconnect, I think then it's going to cause a problem through the sales process as well. And so I don't know if that answered the question or if that's what they were going for. No, I, I they want to know if you recommended it and, and, and granted I, and full disclosure, again, my fear as a brand to me more than the money you spend is if you stagnate, you don't accelerate, you lose opportunity. And, and that's why many times um, when you work with our brands, it's, it's, you know, getting back to these other points, they start growing. So, you know, they want to know if you recommended it, which you do. And I do, um, I do as long as like vet them, have a couple, I mean, and, and, and kind of listen to this as far as how do they get paid and what is their structure and what are they bringing to the table? And, you know, if they're just saying, well, just give us a PowerPoint and we're going to field all your calls. Well, okay, what else you got? Like, you want to work with them. You want them to say, okay, I need to come visit you. I need to try your product. I need to be a customer. I need to see the backend systems. I need to see what your discovery day is going to look like. If, if they want to know and be that intimately involved with your business, I would say, okay, you're going to be a good third party, you know, developer. But if, if they basically don't ever need to see touch, taste, feel, and they can just start selling for you, that I would be more concerned about because then they're just going to read a PowerPoint and, and that, as a player, I'm going to be nervous. That I think is critical because I've seen it where, and it, you know, some we didn't represent or comes to us and, and they basically are just telling someone where if they get a prospect, they'll answer the call and there's none of the systems underneath it. So, right, right. so. The, Lisa, and it's, it's interesting, right? So we, we spoke before the call, we speak all, but <laughs> It's funny how themes come about, but I, I think it's really interesting how this all connects with being a good franchisor and what's involved in, in really yeah. uh, attracting brokers and, and doing these steps here. You know, right. learning, learning about the industry is going to is going to be important to the brokers, knowing that you're involved and that you're learning and that you're educating yourself and you're not just kind of thinking, well, I have an FDD that those those are the ones that never get shown in the networks. I mean, and you'd have to ask some of the founders of the networks as far as who's showing what and that type of thing. But I know for me, if, if you're actively just trying to be better and figure out a way and your franchisee success focused, we'll be okay. You don't need to have 25, 25, you know, 25 franchisees before I show you, but you need to show me the intent that this is gonna, I'm not gonna feel bad that I actually suggested this and it didn't work out. Like I want to feel confident that they're going to be okay. 
So. Which it's interesting because when I see good brokers and, and certainly you're at the top of that, um, I'm always amazed how much they care that they want to know when they meet their, you know, whoever they placed, they meet him or her two years from now that they hear good things and good relationships. And, um, and I, I don't, for new franchisors, sometimes they don't understand what that relationship means. And, and, um, I think that's important. Lisa, I, I really appreciate it. I know there's a lot of number of people have asked about the webinar. Um, we will, uh, if you've signed up for it, um, when it's processed, we will be, um, you'll get an email link to it also. So Lisa, I, I appreciate it so much. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I hope it helps. Take care, Lisa. Thank you. Bye now.